The world is changing fast, but you can learn it at a slower pace. Special English. You're listening to Special English. I'm Tony Reid in Beijing. Here's the news. The China Manned Space Agency has released an announcement to solicit proposals for payloads of the country's manned lunar mission scheduled by 2030, which will be used for scientific exploration on the moon's surface. The announcement reads that to make full use of the mission's resources and promote lunar exploration and scientific research, the lunar lander will carry scientific payloads for relevant exploration activities on the lunar surface. The agency will solicit proposals from research institutions, universities, and high-tech enterprises for payloads designed to face the frontier of lunar scientific research with strong foresight and innovation. The proposals should focus on fields of lunar geology and lunar physics, observation, space life sciences, as well as deep drilling on the lunar surface and utilization of lunar resources. The announcement also said the payloads should be able to adapt to the lunar environment, including gravity that is one-sixth of that on the Earth, high vacuum pressure, strong radiation, a low magnetic field, along with large temperature differences between day and night, and lunar dust. In manned lunar landings, payloads will be deployed and operated with astronaut participation. In unmanned lunar landings, payloads will be released by the lander and carry out their exploration activities autonomously. Drilling payloads will be carried on unmanned landings and should be able to move, avoid obstacles, and survive the environment of the lunar surface during working hours. They should also be able to drill at least 10 meters deep to collect samples and to carry out thermal, magnetic, and seismic detections in boreholes. The proposals are supposed to be submitted by August 15th. The agency announced in May that China plans to realize a manned lunar landing by 2030. It also released an announcement to solicit proposals for the country's first manned lunar rover, which will be driven by two astronauts. You're listening to Special English. I'm Tony Reid in Beijing. 
every morning before heading to work, Tian Bin Chun, a 64-year-old doctor, swims for half an hour in the Yangtze River, China's longest river, or the East Lake in Wuhan, in central China. As a urologist at Zhongnan Hospital of Wuhan University, Tian begins work at 7 a.m. Amid the tight schedule, he realized how vital swimming is for his health and vitality. To maintain the swimming regimen, Tian rises at 5 a.m., freshens up, drinks some milk, and then drives off to swim about a kilometer. This routine keeps Tian energetic for the day. Tian was among more than 1,900 swimmers who participated in the Wuhan Yangtze River Crossing Festival in July, one of the world's most challenging swim events. He swam six kilometers during this city-wide physical fitness gala. Located at the confluence of the Yangtze River and its longest tributary, the Han River, Wuhan is home to 165 rivers and 166 lakes. These abundant water resources foster a deep-seated love for open-water swimming among Wuhan's inhabitants. Yao Qin'an, director of Wuhan's Social Sports Instruction Center, said that many people in Wuhan swim in the Yangtze River because they want to challenge nature, endure tough conditions, as well as build their resilience. The Yangtze River spans an average of 1.7 kilometers in width at the Wuhan section. Given the potential for wind, rapids, and whirlpools, crossing the river is a significant challenge. Ashley Hogg, a Ph.D. student from Manchester, England, said swimming in the Yangtze River is truly challenging. The strong current makes for a challenging crossing, but it's immensely rewarding after reaching the opposite side. Hogg has competed in the festival four times and once placed fifth in the 1.8-kilometer race. Hogg added that the event requires strategic thinking and adaptation, noting that swimmers may aim in one direction to finish in a good time one day, but in the following day or year, slower currents could render the same strategy ineffective, so constant adaptation, strategy, and rigorous training are required. 
while crossing the Yangtze has been a Wuhan tradition for decades, the sport faces challenges of continuity. Most open water swimmers are over 50, with fewer young people showing interest. To engage younger generations, the organizing committee of the event encouraged citizens under 35 in 2019 to form a youth phalanx to partake in the 6-kilometer public swimming event in the Yangtze River. This year's youngest participant 14-year-old Liu Enzi said he was really happy to have finished the race. The phalanx he joined involved 62 people and they kept good formation. Liu started swimming in the Yangtze River with his father four years ago. Wuhan offers free swimming access to students During the summer holidays for about three weeks, the city's sports instruction center has provided free training to over 3,000 primary and secondary school students this summer. The tide is beginning to turn. This year's Wuhan Yangtze River Crossing Festival champions. Were Huang Ziqi, a 15 year old girl, and Wang Baojun, a 17 year old boy. Tian, who founded a swimming association at his hospital this year, saw an encouraging trend. He was surprised to see many young colleagues join the association. With a keen interest in open water swimming, Tian noted it's great that the tradition can continue. You're listening to Special English. I'm Tony Reed in Beijing. A solar telescope array has started its trial operation. Of examining the sun in southwest China, that is according to the National Space Science Center of the Chinese Academy of Sciences. The Daocheng Solar Radio Telescope is part of China's second phase of the Meridian Project and the largest of its kind in the world. It is capable of monitoring solar activities continuously and stably with high quality. Sitting on the edge of the Qinghai Shizong Plateau in southwest China's Sichuan Province, which is more than 3,800 meters above sea level, the Solar Radio Imaging Telescope. Is composed of 313 six-meter-wide parabolic antennas, encircling a 100-meter-high calibration tower in the center. 
The telescope will be used to capture high precision imaging of solar events and explore methods of monitoring pulsars, fast radio bursts, and asteroids. In 2008, China launched the Meridian Project, a monitoring network comprising. 31 ground based stations to investigate the weather in space and understand the processes behind these catastrophic events. This is Special English. Since the establishment of a public charging station in June, Yang Shuchuan, a rural resident living in Wushan Township in East China's Anhui Province, only needs to drive four kilometers to charge his electric car. Yang said he used to drive more than 20 kilometers to the city for charging. The newly installed facility. Is part of a campaign launched by Anhui Province to increase the number of charging stations in rural areas amid the growing demand. China's new energy vehicle industry has experienced rapid development in recent years. Data from the China Association of Automobile Manufacturers shows that the output and sales of China's new energy vehicles reached some 3.78 million and 3.74 million units, respectively, in the first half of this year. Up by 42% and 44% year on year. Official figures show that as of May this year, China established more than 6.3 million charging piles nationwide, most of which are located in urban areas. Last year, Hefei, the provincial capital, invested 340 million yuan, about 47 million U.S. dollars, in upgrading its rural power grid, including the expansion of transformer capacity and changing power lines, to support the building and operation. Of more charging facilities, Wu Wei, marketing director of Anhui Hefei Power Supply Company, under the state grid, said that some 50 charging stations had been installed at local power supply centers in rural regions of Hefei, with a total. Of a hundred and ninety-six charging piles, Wu said that an additional seven hundred and seventeen charging piles 
are available in rural public transport hubs, tourism spots, and large communities. Apart from building public charging stations, power companies have been facilitating the installation of private charging piles for rural customers. Wu said the company has cooperated with over 20 car shops, offering one stop services to consumers when they purchase new energy vehicles. Adding that the number of private charging piles in rural Hefei rose by over 50% this year. Anhui sets the goal of building itself into a new energy vehicle friendly province. It plans to provide charging facilities to cover. 75% of all townships in the province by 2024, achieving full coverage by 2025. You're listening to Special English. I'm Tony Reid in Beijing. The rising temperatures in Florida's waters due to the climate change have sparked an extreme stressor for coral reefs. As the U.S. South struggles under a heat wave in July, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration reported Florida water temperatures in the mid 90s Fahrenheit. About 35 degrees Celsius. Normal water temperatures for this time of year should be between 73 to 88 degrees Fahrenheit. The extreme heat has triggered coral bleaching, where stressed corals expel their colorful algae symbionts, leaving them pale and vulnerable. In response to the crisis, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and Moat Marine Laboratory and Aquarium said they have come up with new techniques to propagate and transplant healthy corals. They have been cultivating coral fragments in nurseries, ensuring their strength. And viability before reintroducing them into the ocean. Coral reefs create homes for millions of species of marine life, support healthy ocean food webs, and protect coastlines. Florida's coral reefs are also a tourist attraction and help support the economy. Michael Crosby, president and CEO of Moat Marine Laboratory and Aquarium, said they want to restore corals in a manner in which these sessile animals can take on their own replication. You're listening to Special English. I'm Tony Reid in Beijing. 
That's the end of this edition of Special English. To recap, I'm going to read one of the news items again at normal speed. Please listen carefully. Every morning before heading to work, Tian Bin Chun, a 64 year old doctor, swims for half an hour in the Yangtze River, China's longest river, or the East Lake in Wuhan in central China. As a urologist in Zhongnan Hospital of Wuhan University, Tian begins work at 7 a.m. Amid the tight schedule, he realized how vital swimming is for his health and vitality. To maintain a swimming regimen, Tian rises at 5 a.m., freshens up, drinks some milk, and then drives off to swim about a kilometer. This routine keeps Tian energetic for the day. Tian was among more than 1,900 swimmers who participated in the Wuhan Yangtze River Crossing Festival in July, one of the world's most challenging swim events. He swam six kilometers during this citywide physical fitness gala. Located at the confluence of the Yangtze River and its longest tributary, the Han River, Wuhan is home to 165 rivers and 166 lakes. These abundant water resources foster a deep-seated love for open-water swimming among Wuhan's inhabitants. Yao Qin'an, director of Wuhan Social Sports Instruction Center, said that many people in Wuhan swim in the Yangtze River because they want to challenge nature, endure tough conditions, as well as build their resilience. The Yangtze River spans an average of 1.7 kilometers in width at the Wuhan section. Given the potential for wind, rapids, and whirlpools, crossing the river is a significant challenge. Ashley Hogg, a PhD student from Manchester, England, said swimming in the Yangtze River is truly challenging. The strong current makes for a challenging crossing, but it's immensely rewarding after reaching the opposite side. Hogg has competed in the festival four times and once placed fifth in the 1.8-kilometer race. Hogg added that the event requires strategic thinking and adaptation, noting that swimmers may aim in one direction to finish in a good time one day. But in the following day or year, slower currents could render the same strategy ineffective, so constant adaptation, strategy, and rigorous training are required. While crossing the Yangtze has been a Wuhan tradition for decades, the sport faces challenges of continuity. Most open-water swimmers are over 50, with fewer young people showing interest. To engage younger generations, the organizing committee of the event encouraged citizens under 35 in 2019 to form a youth phalanx to partake in the 6-kilometer public swimming event in the Yangtze River. This year's youngest participant, 14-year-old Liu Enze, said he was really happy to have finished the race. The phalanx he joined involved 62 people, and they kept good formation. Liu started swimming in the Yangtze River with his father four years ago. Wuhan offers free swimming access to students during the summer holidays for about three weeks. The city sports instruction center has provided free training to over 3,000 primary and secondary school students this summer. The tide is beginning to turn. This year's Wuhan Yangtze River Crossing Festival champions were Hang Zhiqi, a 15-year-old girl, and Wang Baojun, a 17-year-old boy. Tian, who founded a swimming association at his hospital this year, saw an encouraging trend. He was surprised to see many young colleagues join the association with a keen interest in open water swimming. Tian noted it's great that the tradition can continue. This is the end of today's program. I'm Tony Reed in Beijing, and I hope you'll join us every day to learn English at a slower pace. Thank you.
You've been listening to programs from CGTN Radio. CGTN Radio. We invite you to visit us online for more audio, pictures, and in-depth reports. At radio.cgtn.com, you can access a wide range of programs and find your favorite news, talk, features, entertainment shows, and podcasts. Hear the difference with CGTN Radio.